0: and I want to encourage you today to look me with me in John chapter number 5 together. We're continuing to this journey with Jesus through the book of John, and it is an encouraging journey as we have just seen God do some miraculous things as as John opens the gospel, we saw him lay out the foundation that Jesus is eternally God. Do you believe that today? Amen. Amen. I tell you what, there's a lot of people that have that uh, they don't have that understanding. But we see through the book of John that he wants to lay this beautiful groundwork and this foundation for us that Jesus Is God, and that is something that our faith is built upon today. And you can't. uh, And as we look through this, John begins to lay this groundwork for the fact that Jesus has always been God. He is God still, and He continues to be God in eternity future. And as we look at this, it's just an incredible thing. As we see, uh, John just laid this groundwork. We saw in the ministry of Jesus last week there was some some conflict that arose. You ever notice that when you want to do something good? conflict arises man it seems like man i want to just do something good something encouraging for those around me and what happens is someone gets mad at me for doing it but you know we just continue just like john shared here if you find that happening let me just say you're being like jesus amen but we saw this conflict really began here in Jerusalem. And then we're going to see it spread out next uh, in the next few messages as we continue through the book of John. And this conflict continues until it climaxes at the cross. But it starts here at this pool of Bethesda. And we saw this impotent man who was healed last week. And, and this man, as he, uh, as he was just laying there for 38 years by this pool of Bethesda, in pain, in, in this torment, and we see that Jesus in the multitude there I was willing to pick this man who had been abandoned by friends and family and left there by that pool. And Jesus looked at him and chose to heal him. More than just heal his sickness, but to he healed his heart. And I'm thankful for what Christ offers for us today through his death on the cross. And he looked through the multitude and he brought this notable healing on this man. What an incredible picture of compassion. What a picture of God's omniscience. What a picture of God at work. And then we saw him begin uh, as he did this. this. This started some controversy in Christ's ministry. Can you imagine this? Healing someone, doing good, starts controversy. But see, the problem was, it was the Sabbath. And the pious religious leaders of the day, uh, in all of their elegance and their refinery, they looked at, at this situation and said, listen, you healed on the Sabbath. You've broken the commandments. And they, start, they started all of this, this. But he didn't break the commandments. He broke tradition. Heaven forbid we break some tradition. One day, well, I might preach first and then we'll sing. Half of y'all would leave. You wouldn't know what to think, amen? Or one day we might say, all right, everybody on this side of the church, you got to sit on this side of the church. I'd really make some people mad then, wouldn't I? Thou shalt not, preacher. When we were building our building, I remember Pastor Tolbert gave us Sharpie markers, and we went through this building and we made our mark on the studs. And all throughout the scripture, if you were to peel back the sheet rock, uh, uh, the, uh, the sheet rock on the walls today, you'd find scripture written on, this, on these, uh, these studs all throughout this building. But someone said, I'm going to make my own mark. And right about where Steve is sitting, there's a circle drawn on the, on the concrete, and someone said, this is my spot. <laughs> I'm going to sit there. Now, I'm, we're not going to say Brother Steve did. it; He wasn't here at that time, but I'm telling you, someone did that. And, and, you know, we just have this thing, man, we, we, we like things to stay the same. Well, these Pharisees were the same way, and when Jesus Christ came on the scene, He was demonstrating that He is eternally God, not just of the moment, but of all things, amen? And I'm thankful that as He, as he did this, that He was able to teach some incredible truths. But He didn't just heal on the Sabbath, then He told this man, listen, pick up your bed and walk. He told them to work on the Sabbath. And so this was no doubt, this is one of those things that, that as they looked, they just, just got their dander up. And you'll see today in the text is uh, what kind of dander they had up. But John Phillips said this, It sets for the uh, divine glories of the incarnate Son of God. It gives us the Lord's own teaching concerning His divine Sonship. That's what we have here. As we entered into John chapter 5 in these verses, we see that this chapter reveals who Christ is. Better than anyone else, any other place in the book of John, He reveals to us that Jesus is God. So, obviously, we want to honor Christ today. We come today, we sing, and you think, why do we sing? I tell you, it's to honor Christ. Why do we come together in fellowship? To honor Christ. Why do we come here? Because God's called us to to honor Him. You know, I don't know if you've ever read Grimm's Fairy Tales... I, I've always wondered why they called it grim. It just seems kind of dark, maybe, a kind of a name. But that's another story. We'll get into that later. But in one of those fairy tales, there's a there's a story about honoring the elderly. There was a little old man, and his eyes blinked, and his hands trembled. And when he ate, he clattered the silverware, and it distressed the woman in the house, and he missed his mouth with the spoon. As often as not, the food would dribble out of his mouth and on the tablecloth. I think he was talking about me. (laughs) But now he lived with his married son. had nowhere else to live, and his wife's son didn't like the arrangement, and so she was kind of bitter and angry and upset with the situation. She said, I can't have this. It interferes with my right to happiness." So she and her husband took the old man gently but firmly by the arm and led him to the corner of the kitchen. And there they sat him on a stool and gave him his food in an earthenware bowl. And from then he always ate in the corner. And he looked at the table with wistful eyes. One day his hands trembled more than usual, and the earthenware bowl fell and it broke on the floor. And the daughter-in-law said, You're such a pig if you must, and you must eat out of a trough. So they made him a little wooden trough and he got his meals in that. These people had a four-year-old son. Got to be careful with those around, let me tell you. And they, this son, they noticed they were very fond of this little boy. And one evening, the man noticed that his son was playing with some bits of wood and asked him what he was doing. He says, I'm making a trough. And he smiled. He was looking up for his mom and dad for approval so I can feed you and mama when I get big. <laughs> well, it didn't take long for this man and his wife. They looked at each other They didn't say anything they cried a little bit, as you can imagine, and they went to the corner, and they took the little old man by the arm, and they brought him back to the table, and they sat him in the comfortable chair, and they gave him his food, and from then, on, no one ever scolded him again. You know, what a good illustration of what it means to honor someone, what not to do and to do, amen? We think about honor. Honor during the Bible times helped shape everyday biblical life of, of their life. I mean, it was very important to have honor during the days of Christ. Honor was the primary measure of social status and was based on uh, either ascribed honor or acquired honor. What do do I mean by that? Well, for example, those born to rulers and leaders were held in high esteem due to their family honor. This was ascribed honor. And then the Jewish people spent much time also chronicling their ancestry and so they knew where their honor came from. So if you were of the line of David, you could say, well, I, my family is of the line of David. And they were held in higher regard. If you were like my family, we don't know where we came from. We just came from somewhere and we're glad we're here. You know. But there was also an acquired honor, which was gained through good deeds. It was gained through great public service. And as Christ describes His relationship with the Father and He demonstrates His divine abilities, what we see is that He is worthy of honor. He demonstrated great and generous miracles. And there should have been no doubt a great uh, pomp and circumstance for all that, that, that went on for him as, as he was, uh, did these great deeds in this community. No doubt that the people of the Jews should have just taken and lined up and, and made great fanfare for him uh, for healing this man who was crippled. For 38 years he was crippled, an impotent man. But instead what we find is that these folks, instead of honoring him... They refused his honor. He was of the lineage of David. Can you imagine this? A man who had his rightful place alongside kings. Yea, he was of the lineage of God because he is God. He had his rightful place in the heavenlies. But they didn't honor him. So let's pick up the narrative together. Can we do that? We're going to look at John chapter 5. The verse 15 verses deals with this healing of the impotent man. And we're going to pick up now verses 16 through 30 as we see uh, this great dissertation as it begins to lay the groundwork for the reality that He is God. And so let's look here together. Verse 16, And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay Him because He had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what the father, what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, there, uh, these also doeth the Son likewise." For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead, and quickeneth them, even so the son, of, son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but committeth all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live." For as the Father hath life in Himself, so, he hath, uh, so hath He given to the Son to have life in Himself, and hath given Him authority to execute judgment also, because He is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice, and shall come forth, they that have uh, done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation." I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Shall we pray together? Our Father, we thank You for the reading of Your Word. Lord, we're thankful for this incredible truth that we get to lay the groundwork for and the opportunity we have as believers to honor Christ. Lord, we're thankful for Your Son, The one that the book of Proverbs describes as a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. As John chapter 10 describes as the good shepherd who cares for our soul. God, we're thankful for all He means to us. We're thankful most of all for the atonement that He provided for on the cross. And so as we gather together this morning and our desire, our hearts have been lifted up from, from singing, Lord, may our hearts and our minds be opened to the power and the work of your Spirit, that, Lord, each of us this morning would be sensitive, Lord, to your leadership, and then we would say, God, here am I. So, Father, we commend to you our spirit, the service, and may your Lord do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we look here in John chapter 5, we see some some great truths about Jesus Christ. And we're going to kind of work through these together. But I just want to share with you uh, this, this question. Do we honor Christ today? Of course, we want to say yes, absolutely, with an exclamation point, amen? Absolutely. Pastor, I honor Christ. Don't you worry about that. But the reality is that sometimes our life doesn't honor Him. So let's see why we should honor Christ, and then we can look at how. So that's, that's where we're going this morning. And so let's look at this, why we honor Christ. And there are two main reasons. That, remember, I talked to you about just briefly in the introduction that Jewish people would elevate or honor a person in their society. And that was because of their birth or because of their deeds. And these two things were both validated and demonstrated in the life of Christ. Christ shares the truth with those that are gathered, that He is the Son of God. And I'm so thankful that we can proclaim that today, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He didn't become the Son of God, He has eternally been the Son of God. And if we go to Philippians chapter 2, we can see that that's laid out beautifully as He describes for us, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but was made in His likeness. And we see this this incredible truth that, that God has laid out for us. And so this is a subject we've seen already in the book of John. And part of the reason that John wrote this gospel was to validate for unbelievers the truth of Christ's claim to be the Son of God. Many people will tell you, listen, Jesus never proclaimed to be the Son. But I'm telling you, he, it is in the Word. All you got to do is read your Bible, and you will find where He proclaims it, and the, the, the angels proclaim it, and all those around Him proclaim that He is the one that we need today. And so we look here. Look in verse number 16 with me. It says, And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay Him, because He had done these things on the Sabbath day. So remember, if I can recount with you kind of what happened last week. The imminent man was healed. And then the the Jews sought to find out who healed you. And the man said, I don't remember. I I don't know there was a bunch of people that day there at the pool of Bethesda. And and he said, I I can't tell you if it was Joe or if it was uh, Billy Bob. I can't tell you who it was. Later, as that man had gone to the temple, Jesus instructed him, go to the temple. And he'd gone to the temple, and Jesus met him there. And as he was there that, 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 that beautiful day, I'm just so thankful that this man uh, found Jesus and Jesus revealed himself to him and, and then he carried that news to the Jews. In verse number 15, he talks about it and, said, uh, and shares He says that Jesus uh, was the one that made him whole. And so we have here in verse number 16, these, these Jews then approach Jesus with a desire to confront him with what he had done to this impotent man. And that's where we pick up the narrative. In verse 17, his response is, My father... Now, if you... If you were to look at that, most of us in this room would say, yeah, that makes sense. But for a Jew, that would have been a slap in the face. For someone to proclaim, "God, the heavenly Father is my Father. He's not just mystical. He's not just a God. He is my heavenly Father that I know. Christ was there to proclaim, listen, I know Him. I, 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 I am. And, and they heard this, you are equal with Him. Now, what a powerful statement for Christ to make because He was defying not only the tradition, but He was was proclaiming truth that He and the Father are one. Now, Christ was there to do His Father's work, and that's what He proclaims here. My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. He said, listen, I'm just doing the work that God has called me to do. And so this is is a a great reminder of Christ's willing submission to the will of of God. And we see this again later in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus was there and He was praying in, in preparation for the cross that was to come. And He said, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me, but nevertheless not My will, but Thine be done. But in both instances, we see this uh, unification here of the Father and the Son as He uh, is not off on His own defying tradition. He wasn't a lone star, faith healer. He has healed this this man on the Sabbath day because He is doing the work of the Father. And that's what He's proclaiming. He says, listen, I did this because my Father wanted me to. Only if kids would be that way, amen? Amen. If only I was that way as a kid, my my backside might have been a little less tender most of the time. But you know, when God created all of these things, and God created the earth and all that is in it in those six literal days in Genesis 1, we find that He rested on the seventh day. And He pictured for us this day of rest. Later in the book of Exodus, we see where he made this part of the Ten Commandments to the Jewish people. And he, he says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he hallowed it. He said, Listen, folks, he said, This is a day that's important for rest. If you miss having a day of rest, your body knows it on Monday. Amen. And God said that this is a special day, not because just your body needs rest, but because we need time to reflect on the glories of God. We need time to pause and to be able to say, God, I want you to be in control of my life. God, I want you to be the center of my being. And these Jews had been so wrapped up with their traditions and so wrapped up with their rules and their regulations that they had forgotten who the true God was and the true intent of this precious day was. And so they had taken this day that was meant to be a day of rest, a day of, that was holy and sacred, a day dedicated to, to being able to be restored in your spirit to a day that made it a curse. A day that was a burden for the people to bear. And Christ was demonstrating, listen, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I'm not, he, wasn't, he wasn't violating the, the, the commandment. He was violating those traditions. And then as He proclaimed, my Father, He was telling them, listen, this is the intent of God in this situation. There was not two wills. There was not the will of Christ and the will of the Father. It was simply that we find that Christ submitted His uh, completely to the Father's will and everything. There was one will. Thus, There was one God. If there had been two wills, there would have been two gods. But there was one will eternal together. That's who they are. And so as Jesus' ministry progresses, we find that there are even greater works that He will do because He said, I am doing the work of my Father. Whose work are we doing? In my hope and prayer is that God allows us to do His will and to do His work. And we see this played out in Christ's life. Man, He, he said, listen, I'm here to do the will and the work of my Father. So let's look here together as Jesus begins to show some things, and starting in verse number 20, of some of the great things that He's going to do. In verse number 20 and 21, He says, Christ will raise the dead. In verse 20, He says, For the Father loveth the Son and showeth him all things that, uh, that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth him, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. You see, Christ was saying, there was, there, this is nothing. To heal this lame man is nothing. To do these things, that's, that's a small potatoes, if you will. He says, but what's, what you're about to see is going to be amazing. You're about to see through Jesus Christ and the miracles that he will do, him raise people from the dead. And in fact, the Gospels record three people that Jesus raised from the dead. First, there was the daughter of Jairus in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43, where this this daughter had been dead and Jesus came and healed her and raised her from the dead. There was the son of the widow in Luke chapter 7 verses 11 through 17 where the beer was passing by and out of compassion and love he reached out and touched the body and he healed that son that had been dead. And then in a moment of great, incredible love, we come to John chapter 11 and we see the compassion of God poured out beautifully as as Jesus goes to the tomb of Lazarus and he calls out, Lazarus, come forth. One that had been dead for days rose from the dead. One that had been wrapped in those grave clothes come stumbling out of the grave and He said, Loose them from those grave clothes. He no longer needs those things. I'm telling you what, Jesus Christ was about to demonstrate, I am God of all things. One day Jesus will raise all from the dead. Look at verse 28. He says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Won't that be a glorious day? Man, i am telling you what, I'm excited for that moment. I'm excited for the day that we have uh, as believers that, man, this is not it for us. And things in life sometimes are hard and sometimes they get difficult. But I'm telling you, this this is just a little glimmer of the great hope that we have that's yet coming. And we are looking forward to that beautiful, glorious day when Jesus Christ, and we'll hear that celestial trumpet from the sky call out, and those that are dead in Christ shall rise, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Won't there be a glorious day? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22 says, For as in Adam all die. That's what Romans 5.12 reminds us. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Well, what a glorious day that will be. You know, as a believer, that's something we get to look forward to. Christ said, listen, you want to see something? I am the Son of God, but listen, I'm going to prove it because I'm going to raise people from the dead. So watch out. There's a lot of jokes that I could sell right there, but I'm going to be good. All right, let's look at the next one. The the Son will one day judge the world. Look look in verse 22 with me. It says, For the Father judgeth no man, but committeth all judgment unto the Son. So Jesus Christ was beginning to teach some of these things as He says, Listen, not only will I resurrect the dead, but you'll also see that I will be the judge. See, Jesus has authority to execute judgment because He is not only the Son of God, but He's the Son of Man. He is the God-man. He is 100% God, 100% man. He is both of these things together in one uh, body, in one uh, here on this earth. And Christ lived here, and He understood the hurts. Man, He understood the pain. He understood the sorrows of life. We saw Him weep at the the, uh, tomb of a friend. Well, there's no sweeter place to go when you lose someone you love than to John 11. We saw Him experience pain at the cross, The scourging that He took is far worse than anything any of us will ever experience in this lifetime. We saw Him betrayed by those He loved the most. When Judas walked up to Him in that garden and kissed Him on the cheek for a moment, uh, he, He wanted to pretend and feign that He was His friend, but He betrayed Him with a kiss. Oh, we've been there, haven't we? We saw Him abandoned. We saw Him suffer. And ultimately, we saw Him cruelly murdered for a crime he'd never committed. You see, Christ has been there. And Christ will be the judge because he's lived here and he's experienced the trials that we've experienced. And the Bible says in Hebrews 4.15, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with a feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. You see, when he looks at our life and, and when, we, when we go to Christ in prayer and we say, Lord, I need you, he knows the, and the, the hurts that you're going through because he's lived here. He knows the anguish of the heart of those that are grieving. He knows the, the hurts that you feel when you're sick or when your bodies give out. He knows these things because he's walked through this. And he says in Psalms 23:4: Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Isn't that good? to know that Christ walks with us through these things. We're not alone in this and Christ will exercise righteous judgment. You know when we when we go oftentimes, we've been with people as they've gone to uh, before the judge, some for serious crimes that they did before they were saved. Some uh, have gotten their life uh, turn, turned around because of uh, what Christ has done through salvation in their life. And boy, they, but they still had to pay for the penalty of those sins that they had, had committed before. Those things that they had done, they still had a, a, a penalty that was associated with that, whether it was drugs or some other, other thing that had happened before. And so we went, we'd go with them to support them and encourage them in those, uh, in those places where the judge sits in the courtroom. And sometimes we see judges give good, fair judgments, don't we? But the reality is they can't do it 100% of the time. You know, and I don't, I don't know where you land on some of the more high-profile cases Uh, The latest one with uh, Mr. Chauvin or some of the others. But this is what I know. We make errors because we're human. God never does. And when Jesus Christ sits on that throne of judgment, there will be no error. He will see all things and His righteous judgments. He's going to know. He's going to see. And we see that He's going to seek to do the Father's will in these things. In verse number 30, He says, I can of mine own self do nothing as I hear I judge. He says, listen, I'm dependent upon the Father, and we are one in this thing. So though I sit on the throne, we together will be uh, there. He is worthy to be our judge because He sought the Father's will and obeyed the Father's will despite temptations that he faced. And one day we will see, as Acts mentions, that he will be the one that executes judgment over all mankind. Acts 10 verse 22 says, And He commanded us to preach unto the people, and to testify that he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. Or Acts 17 31, Because He that appointed of the day in the which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men, and that He hath raised him from the dead. You see, He will be that righteous judge. We see that his, uh, his words will judge us in that last day. In John twelve forty eight, He that rejected me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day. And so I want to remind you that every one of us will stand before this judgment of Christ. And in Second Corinthians chapter five and verse ten it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. But let me just say that there are two judgments that Christ will reign over. The first is what we call the judgment seat of Christ, or the Bema seat. It's a place in, where believers will be rewarded according to the works that they have done. And we see that it will be uh, following the rapture of the church and during the time of the tribulation on this earth. And It will be a joyous time for believers as you re- are received those rewards for that faithfulness in your life. The second judgment will be a time of great torment. I believe it will be a time where we will want to plug our ears because of the anguish that will be demonstrated there. It will be a time that is called the Great White Throne of Judgment. It's referred to in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And all who have rejected Christ, those who have never even heard the name of Christ, those who maybe uh, uh, said, I'll just wait one more day, and that one more day never came, these will stand before this judgment seat of Christ, this great white throne of judgment. And they will be judged based on their merits. And let me just share with you, they will be found wanting. Their punishment. Because the Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one of us that can attain unto God's glory. There's not one of us that can be good enough to to get into heaven on my own. And and though you may be a good person here, uh, compared to somebody who's in jail today, let me just say that that, that, uh, none of us are as good as Christ is. None of us are as holy and as righteous as He he was here on this earth. And that is the one that you are judged against because for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us in this room, the preacher included, and the preachers that are in this congregation today, we have come short of God's glory. And so if you don't have Jesus Christ, the Bible says that your name will not be written in the Lamb's book of life, then you will be be judged based upon your merits and that you will be found wanting and their punishment is recorded in Revelation 20 and be cast into the eternal lake of fire. I know that's not fun to think about, is it? But this is the good news. Jesus said, listen, I offer you everlasting life. That's the great news. I think about Jesus and all that He offers. In verse 24, I've underlined this in my Bible because in my mind, I think, actually, I highlighted it green because I love the color green and it reminds me of life. And I I highlighted this because I wanted it to pop in my Bible as I come to it because He offers hope in the midst of the despair. And though there may be a time of judgment, there is hope for us today. And there's hope for you and there's hope for me. In John verse 24 it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Amen. I am thankful that God offers for you and me the opportunity to live without fear of that day of judgment. When I think about future events, I'm not fearful. When I think about the return of Jesus Christ, I'm not afraid I'm joyful, I'm excited, because one day, face to face, I shall see Him. Like that old song, face to face with Christ my Savior, face to face, what will it be? Or that newer song, I can only imagine, what will it be like? Man, what an incredible, incredible thing. We can live with expectation. We can live with hope of His promises because of the eternal life that He offers. You see, that those who hear his words, who believe the Father who sent him, they shall not come into judgment or condemnation. They shall pass from death unto life. The time for this offer is now. Jesus says in verse 25, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they uh, that hear shall live. Listen, he's saying, Don't wait another moment. This is your opportunity to be saved. When those who are dead spiritually, will hear the voice of the Son of God via the gospel, then those who, uh, who obey will be saved. And so God, the Son of God, has power to give life. And this is what He bases it all upon. He says, listen, I just, Christ deserves honor today because He is the one that offers everlasting life. He is the one that offers hope in the midst of this despair. He is the one that will be the judge. He is the one that, that gives us something to look forward to. And He says in verse 26 that He is the one that gives life. Verse 26 says, For as the Father hath life in Himself, so uh, so hath He given to the Son to have life in Himself, and hath given Him authority to execute judgment. We see in John chapter 10 that He is the one that offers life to all that will receive it. Not just life, breathing today, but life with purpose, life with meaning, life that has significance. See, that's what Christ offers for you today. If we were to take time and each of us could come up, probably each of us in the room could say, you know, there's a reason I want to honor Christ today. There's a reason I love my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's a reason that we honor Him today. And and you probably have some great reasons, but Christ laid out some very basic reasons, these four reasons. And we understand that there is a why. Why do we worship Christ? Why do we honor Him? I I was so thankful we got to visit with a family yesterday. And as we were visiting with him, the the man said, you know, I've never been to a place that lifted up Christ as much as as y'all did there. And I said, man, glory to God. He's the one that deserves it all. Not a man, but our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, deserves it all. He is worthy. But the question remains, how? Practical. I'm, I'm very, I like to be practical. Do you like to be practical? Some of you don't, and that's okay too. But I like to be practical. And I'm one or two more do too. So how do we honor Christ in our life? Well, Christ lays out some basic things. And the first one is by hearing His voice. Hear His voice now. Verses 27-29, through 29, no matter, we see that no matter what state we are in on that day, we will all hear His voice. The book of Philippians says it this way. He says in Philippians 2, verses 10-11, through 11, that at the name of Jesus, and this is future tense, every knee should bow of things of heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that at, uh, ev- and, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, every tongue, everywhere that has ever been born, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You won't have; there, there will no longer be an option. But the difference is whether you're in heaven proclaiming this, or in hell proclaiming this. Let me just say, I don't want to be in the latter. I want to be in the former. I want to be in the presence of God with the beauty of His angels and all of, His, all of the things that He has established there. I want to be beholding the glory of God in person, being able to say, Jesus really is God. But there will be some from heaven in pain and agony, they say, why did I not believe? You see, there will be a day when all will recognize that what the Pharisees dismissed that day, And so Christ warns of this judgment. He warns of these these judgments to come and those that will be resurrected uh, uh, for life and those of a resurrection of death. One day, that voice of God will call and even the dead in Christ will rise to meet the Lord in the air. Man, I am telling you, that will be a day of jubilee. I can just imagine some of those ones that that, uh, I think of recently. We got to uh, go to see my grandmother who's in her 80s. And she lives in Amarillo, Texas, where my grandfather pastored in his last pastorate. He died before I was ever able to meet him. And so I asked her, I said, could you take me to his graveside? Now, we're not big graveside goers in our family. And my grandmother looked at me dumbfounded, and she said, well, sure. She said, now, we don't do that much. I said, I know we don't, and it doesn't mean anything. They didn't want but me, but I want to know a little, connect a little bit where I can with my grandfather. I never got to meet and as we were standing there at the graveside, we stumbled over that graveyard and were looking for this, uh, this uh, headstone that was there. And we finally found it, and, and my wife uh, took a picture of it. And, and we were sitting there over that, that gravestone, and I looked down at, at that. It said, Reverend John A. Bingham third. And I looked there, and I thought, wow, Lord, I can't wait till I get to meet him. I can't wait till that day when you call us home where I'm hoping that I get to be in the second crowd where the Lord, where I don't have to be dead and then rise, amen? I want to be in that second crowd, that get to meet the Lord in the air, those alive and remain, those that get to say, man, God, I can't wait to meet you, and I can't wait to meet those ones that have gone on before that had their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a glorious day that will be. And Jesus says, listen, if you will hear my words, you can be part of that crowd. You can be part of those ones that have that confidence, that don't fear His voice, that, that, that are looking forward to it, that, like, that's looking in that eastern sky and say, Lord, when are you coming? Won't it be glorious? Oh, what a good day that will be. But let me just say, you must also obey. You know, we can hear a lot of things. I've been married, we'll be married 20 years this year. I'm thankful for my wife. She has been a faithful, wonderful, incredible companion. And if you don't know the half of it, let me just say, But as I think about all that God's brought us in 20 years, our children, and and all that, that we have yet to experience, I remember back those many, many years ago when we were dating. And I thought back to it and I thought, you know, Lord, undoubtedly you're the one that led in this relationship. Undoubtedly you're the one that said, this is the one that I have for you. You better ask her to marry you before she gets away. College was something else. She went to college before I did. And so I was trying to finish high school. And so uh, I said, uh, so she would call me and say, uh, she was going to Howard Payne University. And this, this young man would, uh, they had uh, young men could come into the dormitories in that time. And, uh, and I was always real comfortable, uncomfortable with it. But they had to have an invite and they had to have multiple people in the room. And it was very, very kosher, but he could still be there. And so her roommate would invite this young man up and then he would hit on my, my girlfriend. I can tell you what, I made her a man-beating stick. I gave it to her next time I, I, I saw her, and I said, you take this back with you, and that, and that honky comes in there again, you hit him. All right, I don't know where that came from, but that's for free today. But, you know, I'm thankful that I obeyed the voice of the Lord in that and because this is what I've learned. It's not enough to just hear, but we must obey. And, and as, as we've been married 20 years almost, I've noticed that I have this, this new, developed this new skill. It's called selective listening. <laughs> and my wife will talk, and she'll say some of those some most wonderful things, and I have no idea what she just said. I could be looking at her in the face, and I'm watching her lips move. And I look at her and say, what did you say? <laughs> Anybody else like that? Don't say amen to that, men. Your wife's already elbowing you in the ribs, probably. But listen, it's not enough to just to hear the words of God. We must, simply, we must also obey we must be doers of His Word, as He says in Matthew 7. We must be willing to say, God, I need You. Listen, I, I love I love Christmas, and I love to be able to be there with my kids as we get the tree set up, and, and, and we put those presents underneath there, and they're just excited with anticipation for Christmas Day. And they've got all those presents under the tree, and, 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 and uh, every morning on Christmas morning, they're like so eager beaver. You know, they're, they're out of bed early, that we don't have to ask them to get out of bed. They get out of bed early and they come down to the tree and, and they're excited about opening those presents and they're just excited and say, well, can we open presents? And I say, I don't know, we're going to wait a little bit. <laughs> Listen, never once do I have to bribe them to open those gifts because they know that those are for them. But sometimes people treat salvation just completely the opposite. God says it's the gift of God. It is a gift to you from Him to you. And you didn't earn it. You didn't merit it. And He says, listen, all that's required is that you receive it to yourself. But if my kids on, on Christmas morning were to come down and say, thanks, Dad. And they never picked up the gift. And they left it there. And it, they, never made, it, they made, never made it out of the packaging, into their lap, into their bedroom, to be lost forever in the abyss. You know, if that never happened, then it never really becomes theirs. God said salvation is a gift. It's the same way. And if you never make it practically yours, you never hear His voice and obey it, you never say, God, I put my faith in you as my Savior, then listen, you will never truly be saved. Yes, Christ died for all men, but you must believe. John eight thirty one says, Then Jesus said unto those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. Hebrews 5, 9 says, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And we see that here in John 8, 28, 4, he says, And I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Will you obey his voice? Will you be willing to obey the Lord today? See, Christ has made this available to you and to me, this salvation. And He calls you. He calls you to Him today.